So um, a very warm welcome. Uh, and we will be kind of in this process of welcoming you uh, and really easing into and starting the retreat. And uh, really want to um, thank you for gathering here today as a kind of a significant date for many. Uh, and we all have varying relationships to uh, today's date. And, uh, and um, I'm going to just spend a few moments uh, dropping into um, relating to ourselves. So often we're kind of attuned outwards, and so we're just going to spend a few moments just arriving and saying hi to ourselves. Uh, so you know, if it feels good to close the eyes, you can do that, or just just a few moments. You can look softly at the ground if that feels better to you. Just acknowledging, uh, maybe acknowledging and congratulating yourself for all that it took to get here. And to the best of our ability, putting it down. And uh, greeting what's here just as it is. Whatever the impact of the moments leading up to this moment, whatever that impact may be on the body, on emotions, on the thinking processes, just really allowing for that and acknowledging it. And then almost placing it like a down like a bundle or suitcases, any kind of sense of burden might mean uh, putting down various roles. duties, responsibilities, allowing, setting those down for now. And welcoming, uh, I have a friend who calls it the youest you that's there.
Thank you. Adding my welcome, and we'll be doing our introductions in a, a little bit. Um, sorry, I have to play with my hearing aid. There we go. Um, we're going to be doing a number of rituals tonight to bring ourselves into this beautiful community. And so I want to start us off with uh, land acknowledgement. And uh, I want to begin by sharing a, a quote from the Coastal Miwok people that is such a, a beautiful testimony to their connection to this land that extends to time immemorial. So this is from the Coast Miwok tribe. Since time immemorial, as long as the sun has filled our days with the gift of light, and as long as the moon has guided our path at night, Coast Miwok people who hold the incontestable Aboriginal title have occupied, tended, stewarded, held sacred ceremonies, defended and governed according to the traditions of our ancestors, the unceded lands of present-day Marin County, California. This vision and this testimony to the beauty of this connection and this amazing place that we find ourselves in, this beautiful land, this Marin County, that has been stewarded by the Coast Miwok people, and just really offering gratitude to the practices that have endured through time and space. And acknowledge that the histories of the people of this area have been wrought with violence, have been ignored and overlooked. And so bringing to the forefront this beautiful connection. And then inviting us as during our time here to remember our connection to the land to the beings of the land, to the land, the nature that we are, that we are nature and the nature is us, and to invite this honorable relationship. And so why we're here, if we can really pay respect to the animals, that you'll encounter, just saw a bat on the way up here. I was so grateful, the bats and the trees and the grasses and the deer and maybe even the mosquitoes and the other ones that you might encounter, really honoring the beings of this land while we're here and remembering that sacred part of ourselves that is the land and these teachings that we can learn from our the indigenous people of the land, that we are in connection to the land. And lastly, I want to offer this land acknowledgement as somebody who has settler colonial privilege in this United States. So really acknowledging what it means to me to be here, given all that has happened on this land. So just really bringing that in as part of this wider attempt to acknowledge and address the violent impact that has happened, communities, indigenous communities that have been here, and to really live into this possibility of building better relationships 
for myself, for all of us, the lands that we're on, wherever we came from, and being here in that honorable way. So, thank you. What I'm going to invite us into right now is uh, this, most of our time here together, we'll be speaking about this will be in silence, but this is our opening, and so there's a lot of words tonight, and you have just arrived in this new community, and so we want to invite you to meet your neighbors. So we're going to do this in a very structured way, and you won't be able to meet everyone because We'll have a short amount of time, but we're going to gather in small groups and you're going to meet a few of your neighbors before you go into silence for our time together. So we will have um, groups of about three until you'll find someone near you in groups of three where you'll share your name, your pronouns, where you're from, and really what is it that has brought you here at this time in your life? How is it that we all, from all these disparate places, have arrived here together? What, what called you to join this community for this time? So we'll have three minutes each, and the invitation is to you know, speak from your heart and listen from your heart. So um, just being very gentle with yourself and not having to say the perfect thing, just sharing a little bit about what's, what's alive for you right now. So um, your name, pronouns, where you're coming from, and then what brings you here right now? And then I'll time, so we'll have three minutes for each person. So what I'm going to invite you to do is to get into groups of three in, right near where you're at. And then if you are finding that you need a group, come towards the middle here, and the groups will raise their hand if they're still looking for someone. Okay, so we can kind of do that little mingling thing. you're still looking for a group, you could stand up and kind of look around, wave. If you still need, if you need somebody in your group, you can, you can raise your hand. So there's, if anybody's looking for a group, there's um, a group of two over here. There's a group of two over there. Um, if you can wave so people can see where you're going. So um, if you all want to join over here, that'd be great. Can you raise your hand if you're still in a group of two? Okay, so, um, all right, well, maybe we'll just have two groups of two. Sorry, you got up. Thanks. All right, so um, let's have the person who is closest to me begin, if that's okay. And if you don't want to begin, you can just pass it around kind of clockwise. So uh, just figure that out, just if that's helpful. And we'll ring the bell. Um, I'll tell you 30 seconds and then I'll ring the bell. So please uh, begin.
about 30 seconds left for the first person. First person finishing up your share. And then continuing on with the second person. About 30 seconds left for the second person. Inviting the second person to finish up and moving on to the third person.
about 30 seconds left for the last person. Last person finishing up what you're sharing. Taking a moment to thank your partners, your group members. The way that you will. Maybe Thank you all as, you know, as a self-professed introvert, that's always like one of the hardest parts of the retreat for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought we were going into silence. <gasps> now I have to say something. So, you know, whatever, you know, whatever came forth or didn't, you know, it's perfectly wonderful that you're here. And uh, it's um, just part of this, like, becoming a community together that we could meet a few people who are going to be in silence with us and knowing a little bit about them as we gather together. So thank you. Uh, we're going to do short introductions now, so I'll start off. Um, my name is J.D. Doyle. I use they, them pronouns. I live in uh, Oakland, California, unceded Ohlone territory. I grew up in uh, on the North Shore, Massachusetts, and uh, I uh, practice mostly here in California, but I teach, um, especially now with Zoom, I teach all over the country and occasionally in Canada, and I um, am really grateful to be on this teaching team uh, with all these wonderful people, so I look forward to getting to know you during our time together. Oh, a couple other things. Did I say my pronouns? I said my pronouns. Great. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Luigi. Um, that is my given name. And I grew into it over time and with a lot of Dharma practice. And uh, let's see, my pronouns are they, them. And I live across the street uh, in Woodacre, which is a surprisingly long commute. And um, let's see, by, uh, my, I, my profession is I'm a, a therapist. I work at a small nonprofit in Oakland. Um, actually, I've been remote since, uh, since uh, COVID. And uh, 
It's a, uh, we support Southeast Asian refugees, primarily the Cambodian refugee community that was displaced after the genocide. So uh, deeply fulfilling work. Uh, and it's always a real privilege to witness resilience in action. So, and that's really what this is also about too. So thank you for having me. My name is uh, Gulu Singh. I use he, him pronouns. I live in uh, Santa Monica, California, and um, so happy to be here. <laughs> I've spent many, many months, maybe over a year, on that side of the room, and it's been um, such a profound gift for me to have that opportunity, and it's a profound gift to be able to be a beacon or a guide or a steward in some way for all of y'all. I am, this is, I haven't decided which is the side hustle. This, it's either this is the side hustle or the practice of law is a side side hustle. Um, Trying to make law more of a side gig. Um, Again, very happy to be here. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Christian Stonebreaker, and I use he, him pronouns. Um, I uh, currently live in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, but I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, And on this retreat, I will be teaching movement, um, and uh, that's one of the things I do. I teach yoga and yoga trainings and retreats. And then I also teach Dharma and meditation and and mindfulness around the country and and have taught internationally as well. Um, Just a quick word on the movement, just so you know, um, it will be accessible. So if you're looking for handstands and headstands and things like that, that's not going to happen in this room. But if you would like a more vigorous yoga practice, you can uh, do that practice downstairs. And here we'll be doing... um, Uh, more somatic movement on the ground, uh, some light movement to support the meditation practice, and a little bit of of yoga postures as well. So um, if yoga scares you for any any reason, just know that this is going to be a very accessible version of movement for you. We also want to um, honor and welcome... Uh, the various identities that in, inhabit this room. Uh, the Buddha was a radical for his time, and some would even say he was sort of a, a, a social interrupter. Um, he, he attempted to dismantle the caste system. He tried to stop wars. He was very much involved in shifting the social fabric of his uh, culture and time. And really, his, his main concern was to train hearts and minds, or to teach us how to train our own hearts and our own minds. You often hear in the, in the, in the teaching of the Buddha this word nobility, or the word noble. And it was, it's kind of a, a controversial term in that time. 
because to be noble meant that you were um, born into a particular economic status or a power status or upper caste. And he took that word and he used it in his teaching purposely, talking about how nobility was how you lived your life, was the integrity by which you lived your life. So we want to welcome all bodies, all expressions, all identities. We want to welcome your country of origin, your race, the color of your skin, your sexual identity, queer, trans, non-binary, your gender identification or non-identification your sexual orientation, your beliefs, your religion, your age, your political affiliation, your size, your shape, your first language, your socioeconomic status, your level of education, your experience of practice, your mental or physical ability, your neurodivergence, that applies your mental or emotional state, your relationship status, your profession, your citizenship status, your addiction status, your family status, all your health conditions, your introversion or your extroversion. And if I'm leaving anything out that you find important, you can consider that now in silence or if you would like to speak it aloud to bring it into the room please do so, or you can leave me a note at any point and we can speak that into the room. So just a moment here if you'd like to speak anything else into the room. And I also think it's important to honor all parts of ourselves, you know, as we, we enter into meditation practice and as we deepen into our meditation practice, sometimes various parts of ourselves come up. Um, some, maybe sometimes things we, that we don't want to look at or things that uh, we, we discover. And we want to welcome all of those things because in order to, to accept and, and offer kindness and offer metta and offer mindfulness, things need to be seen. And so we create this open welcoming space here. Thank you. So if this is your first meditation retreat, I want you to raise your hands and keep your hands raised. And then just take a look around the room. If you've done one to four meditation retreats, raise your hand. Look around the room. And if you've done four to ten meditation retreats, raise your hand. If you've done more than ten retreats, raise your hand. A few people in the back. We have people of a wide variety of practice, people that have been practicing longer. There's a kind of ineffable way in which they carry us forward. 
you've taken in a lot of information, like since the moment you arrived, you've been like, information has been downloaded on you, and uh, um, now I'm going to download even more information. <laughs> but you don't have to worry. Don't worry if anything I say doesn't make sense or goes over your head or you don't know what I'm talking about. The things that are really important you will hear again and again and again from the teachers. There's a kind of an invitation to listen in a, say, like a dharmic way, listen in a mindful way where you can like let the words pour over you. What needs to sink in will sink in. Letting go of the sense of trying to grasp anything or understand everything that's being said. So I want to say something about the lineage of Spirit Rock. This seems important. This often comes up. Um, and again, maybe these things are meaningful to you and maybe they aren't. Um, this place was founded by a handful of people, um, including Jack Cornfield, James Baraz, Sylvia Burstein, Anna Douglas, Howie Cohen, and others. And um, these the time, young American Westerners uh, traveled to Asia, Thailand, uh, what was then Burma, now Myanmar, India, and studied with a variety of meditation teachers in the 60s and 70s mostly, teachers including Ajahn Chah of the Thai forest lineage, Deepama, Gwenkaji, Upandita, Manindraji, many other teachers. Um, and even though Buddhism had already been in the United States for well over 100 years through the Asian immigrants that brought their culture and religion with them, our, our teachers, the founders of this place, were um, asked by their Asian teachers to come to America and to spread this wisdom to uh, Westerners. So we're a product of that transmission. And um, if you were to go to a temple in Asia, you might find that there's like a single kind of lineage, a single teacher or um, single tradition or a school. Sometimes we call it Buddhism. In some ways, Spirit Rock is a little bit more eclectic because we have the influence of so many different things. You'd say that mostly or broadly, we are students of the it's called the Pali Canon, the early teachings of the Buddha, the teachings that are attributed to the time of the Buddha. Sometimes we use the word Theravada, way of the elders, which includes the commentaries on those teachings that came about a thousand years later. Yeah, much more I could say about that, but I'll leave that there for now. Um, Well, one more thing I'll say is that I feel like, you know, whenever I talk about lineage, that we're such incredible beneficiaries of this stream of generosity that has gone on for at least two millennia. These teachings largely have been passed down uh, person to person, people passing them down um, out of their desire to share the wisdom, usually not for profit, usually... Um, the monastics who were relying on the community for support and then support, in turn, 
supporting the community, and we come to you in much that same spirit. So as Luigi was saying, you know, it's sometimes hard to get here. <laughs> we have to take time off work. We have to make arrangements for, for children, for elders, for animals. We have to make arrangements with our workplace to have people fill in for us. If we're self-employed, there's opportunity costs to not working, being here, many other things the general busyness and productivity orientation of our culture sometimes makes it hard to make time and space to unplug. Um, but you've all done that. And so I just want to feel into the preciousness of that, that, that you, some part of your being knew that this was important enough to go through all that effort to be here. And so the invitation is to fully Turn yourself over to this process. Commit to it fully, to be here, to practice. So our primary practice in this space is mindfulness meditation. We also could probably say heartfulness meditation or full-heartedness meditation. So much of the Human experience is in this like terrain of the heart. And the title of this retreat, Foundations of Mindfulness, comes from a teaching of the Buddha on methods of establishing mindfulness. And so that's largely what we'll be sharing with you, the specific instructions that come from the time of the Buddha and how to cultivate mindfulness be starting with the breath and the body and then expanding the frame as we go. It's on one level an attention training, a training that builds clarity and intimacy and facility with the inner world. In some ways I think the practice is very much about developing the wisdom to know where to rest the attention where to rest the mind, where to rest the heart, you could say. Where is it most fruitful? Where is it more healing? Where is it most forward-leading? Are the ways that we can place the heart that lead to the fruits of the meditation practice, like and so many that are described and we may have experienced, as simple as a calm abiding in the here and now, a sense of clarity, a sense of insight, a sense of ease in some moment, a release of burdens that we're carrying, some sense of freedom. So knowing where to rest the heart and then developing the capacity to actually direct our attention so we can be we can learn to notice when the mind is spinning and the mind is caught up in thought and to come back to this moment or resting the heart where it's most helpful in that moment. This practice has utterly transformed my life, which is one of the reasons that I find myself in this seat.
the practice of meditation is different in some ways from many of the things we pursue in life where we might have a kind of strategy and effort, make effort to achieve that, execute that strategy. Um, and there are, there are, we will be providing instructions. There is a kind of technique or a method of practice, but really I like to think of uh, practice, especially in retreat, as not really trying to make anything happen in particular, but rather cultivating the kind of conditions that will allow the fruits of the practice to naturally arise. So sometimes we can get this sense that I've got to do it, I've got to get there, I've got to, you know, there's a, there's a lot of I in it. You can relax that and trust that something ineffable happens when we gently steward the conditions. And some of the conditions are built into this retreat container, this retreat form. We will be largely in noble silence, so that greatly reduces the amount of uh, stimulation, the energies that arise when we're engaged in conversation. We're going to be renouncing our devices, which are incredible source of stimulation. And we're going to be renouncing reading and really trying to renounce a lot of the things that are outward directed in favor of this kind of inner, inner direction. There's a kind of simplicity to this container. Your rooms are simple. The schedule is simple. It's easy to follow. Um, you don't have a lot of responsibilities. You have a little job. And that creates a lot of space to just tune into your experience. Uh, there's support that's helpful in terms of creating these conditions. You'll have support from the schedule. And you know, I know some people look at the schedule and they go, oh, no. <laughs> it's a lot of sitting. It's a lot of walking. Um, the invitation is to relax into that schedule as a kind of tried and true method of stewarding the conditions that will lead to fruits of the practice arriving. You'll get support from the teachers. We'll have be providing a lot of instruction in this retreat, and you'll have an opportunity to meet with one of us in small groups. And then there's the support we get from the community, and it's um, there's something mysterious and ineffable about meditating in a group. If you've meditated in a group before, often um, there's a field that gets created that holds us. Uh, And then there's a kind of accountability also that holds us and and a responsibility that we have to each other to protect and steward and care for these conditions. So the way in which we arrive to the sits on time and stay for the whole duration of the sit, the way we more or less try to be still and quiet um, without being rigid or oppressive. Sometimes it's just our presence um, together that's supportive. Another condition that's really helpful for... um, the practice is the continuity of practice. 
You know, many of us, when we come to meditation, we might meditate 15, 20, 30 minutes a day. These days with apps, I hear people say they meditate five minutes a day. And now you will have the opportunity to meditate 16, 17 hours in the day. Like the invitation is really to use all the available time to cultivate presence, awareness. Uh, The instructions will be simple, by and large, simple but not easy. Um, So they're attitudes that really support uh, the cultivation of these conditions for freedom and awakening. And interestingly, the attitudes that support awakening are also attitudes that we can cultivate in practice. So it's this kind of beautiful, virtuous circle. The first one I want to talk about is faith, or you might say trust or confidence, having faith in your own capacity for transformation, which in this lineage is believed to be our birthright, born into this human incarnation. Faith in your worthiness for this transformation. The Buddha said you could look far and wide and never find anyone as worthy as yourself. Trusting in whatever brought you here. Maybe you had some moments of lightning or awakening or fruits of the practice in your own practice. Maybe you know people who practice and you think, you know, I want some of what they've got. Or maybe just an intuition that this would be useful to trust in that wisdom that brought you here. Another attitude that's really helpful and supportive in meditation practice is patience. If you came in with expectations, this is a good time to set those expectations down. The seed sprouts in its own time. Like when the conditions are ripe, the soil is sufficiently moist and has the right combination of um, nitrogen and phosphorus and microbes and all the mysterious things, then that seed will sprout. And then if the conditions are continued to be stewarded with the right amount of water and the right light and the right temperature, that plant will grow. We can't control how fast the plant grows. We can't control when the fruit appears on the plant. We can just steward these conditions. Uh, and sometimes it takes time. You know, we, we, we bring our minds with us. We bring whatever came before with us in some way. And many of us live a life where we're going 80 miles an hour, managing a lot of things, a lot of responsibilities, constant movement, constant stimulation. And then, like, we bring you here and it's like 80 to zero. And of course, you're going to feel the reverberations of that experience. Like getting off a treadmill and you feel like you're still moving. And so even this process of just arriving fully is a kind of patient unfolding. Kindness is a, probably the most helpful attitude in meditation practice. Can't overstate the benefit of cultivating an attitude of inner and outer kindness. 
culturally, I think in this culture, we can be very hard on ourselves. And now's a chance to notice that and rewrite the script a little bit. It's a hallmark of peacefulness, actually, to be... uh, I think about kindness, I think about non-contention, non-resistant, non-reactive. Many of the things we seek out of meditation practice can be found in the attitude of kindness. Many, many qualities that support meditation practice. The last one I'll say is uh, non-striving, or you could say gentle persistence. This is sort of like, maybe related to patience, just allowing the practice to work through you. Uh, Notice when there's a sense of struggle and seeing if you can soften. Another way to describe the kind of unfolding of the process of meditation is that we're we're making this shift from doing busyness and activity to the state of just being. And these conditions of um, not having so much to do actually support that gentle movement into. And doing shows up in the way that, you know, we do things in our life or we want to get places, but also just the activity of the mind. The mind's always doing something. We're going to invite that activity to gradually settle down these days together. So there can be a sense of resting. You know, I think rest is a lost art in this culture. And... um, Meditation practice can be restful. I remember I'd been practicing quite a lot of years when a teacher shared actually an instruction from the Buddha that was something like breathing in, relaxing the body, breathing out, relaxing the body. And I was so appreciative that this was actually a helpful forward-leading instruction that that we're invited to relax, to rest, to settle. So the movement from doing to being, there's also a movement from thinking to feeling. You know, you can think about yesterday's breath or tomorrow's breath, but you can really only feel the breath in this moment. So we'll be inviting you into a more immediacy of experience. And one of the ways that we move from the head to the heart to the body is by um, invoking the senses, really um, being present and attuned and aware of all the sensory perception that we're, that's this moment's experience. It's not a model or a concept or an idea. It's actually what's happening in this moment. So I'm going to just pause there, and uh, we don't usually do this, but because so many of you are new to practice, I just wanted to see if there, and you'll be getting a lot more instruction, but 
wanted to see if there were any questions about anything that's been said or any concerns that you have. And someone uh, will run the mic around. <coughs> It should be really helpful if you said your name also. Hello. Is it on? Okay. Hi, I'm Allison. Um, I had a question about taking notes, um, at, you know, not extensively writing, but just to help remember things, to jog the memory, um, just to, as part of the introspective practice. Yeah, thank you for that question. That's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, note-taking is fine when there's a teaching that's being given. Some of the time we'll be guiding you in meditations. That's not a good time to take notes. But when one of us is giving a talk, maybe we're sharing a teaching from the Buddha. If you want to take a few notes, that's totally fine. Notice if that becomes the, the focus of your attention. And then maybe... Um, relax that impulse so you can be fully present for what's being shared. Thank you. Hi, I'm Neha. Um, a question for you. Um, a few of us I've noticed are coming from pretty high energy environments into this, and I am a first timer coming into this as well from a pretty chaotic, high-energy, go-go-go environment. Um, as we kind of turn inward and so forth, and there is less movement, less stimulation, any tips on how to keep energy at a certain level on the spectrum and not from dropping too low so we can continue to be present, right? That's just something I want to make sure I'm trying to make the most out of this and yeah. it doesn't drop too low. Yeah, thank you. That's a really good question. Um, my experience is that the energy will vary. It's different for different people. Some people come in and they just got a ton of energy. Some people come in and just like the tiredness of life shows up. Um, even in a single sit, you could have moments of like restlessness and moments of feeling sleepy. And um, I have a kind of profound faith in the intelligence of the system to regulate itself. And so that's where I would start, is just trusting in that. And then along the way, we'll give some tips um, to help um, all around the margins if there's like way too much energy or way too little energy. Uh, but, you know, most people are really tired. Like, if you wake up with an alarm clock, by definition, you're not getting enough sleep because the body wakes up when it gets enough sleep. How many people wake up to an alarm clock? Almost everybody. So this is also a time to rest. We have to find this balance between you know, letting the body do what it needs to do to heal and also making the most of that. And we'll talk about that more. Thank you.
Hello, my name is Beth. I have a question about the etiquette of the noble silence. Um, this is something that is new to me, and I'm not sure how does that extend to is making eye contact with other uh, participants considered intrusive? Um, uh, if you are um, alone on your own and you want to read, um, uh, so uh, just a little bit more information about the etiquette of noble silence. <laughs> yeah, I think Luigi's going to talk a little bit more about that, but I'll just say that the encouragement is to um, not engage with other people. Sometimes we, we talk about modest eyes. It's not that we're like avoiding eye contact, but not seeking it out in some way, because that is uh, some form of stimulation and, and interaction. Um, we're discouraging reading of any kind because the reading is kind of more of an outward-focused um, activity and encouraging you to be more with your inner experience. And you'll say more about that, right? Noble silence. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this will be the last one. Hello, my name is Liam, and just more of a practical question. Do you have any advice for how to sit? Uh, it's a really good question. Maybe we should we should give some advice about how to sit. Um, we'll talk about that as a team, and we'll get back to you. Okay, thank you. For now, I just say try to find a way to be as comfortable as possible. One of my teachers says that the next Buddha will be sitting in a chair, so we're going to have to change all these statues. So don't feel like this is the preferred way to sit. I will probably be sitting in a chair at some point. It's really just try to be as comfortable as possible. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Uh, let's just take five minutes to do a little bit of movement. Okay, so we're going to take a few minutes just to break up the energy and move a little bit. So uh, if you're able, you can you can stand up. And um, if you'd rather kind of move around the room or walk around, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to do what I do. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's lots of space up here. No need to f fear the teachers. <laughs> you can fill in the space. Yeah, and so we can just start just by really simple, just reach up and just reach up really high. Mm, stretch and ground down through the feet and just reach. And then if you'd like to, you can interlace the fingers and press the palms up. Mm. And really ground into your left foot and, and come over to the right. And then come up to center and come up the other side. Yeah. And just sort of bob side to side, just feeling into that. And you might even start to experiment with turning the heart up to the ceiling, see what that's like. But again, grounding lots through that opposite foot. Hmm. And then come back to center and reach up. Yeah, and then if you'd like to, you can come up to your forefoot, heels high, 
Mm, this is where it's going to get a little, a little fun. <laughs> yeah. And then three, two, one, we'll drop. <sighs> and just start to shake a little bit. <sighs> yeah. Cool. Just shake. I like to stamp the heels to really feel the energy coming up and it helps with the bone density. Shake the shoulders, ahead. Yeah. I don't want to be stiff meditators. Yeah. A little shake. Something about traveling stagnates the energy, so we start to move. You just move the wrists, the elbows, the joints, the shoulders, uh, the head. It's a Qigong thing I like to do. Uh, and then I like to tap the head. Keep shaking. Coordination gets a little funny. You probably started to get a little stiff once you started to do something different, but see if you can keep the shaking going. Yeah, the temples. Keep going. A little shake. And I like to do the front and the back. Ooh. Another thing I like to do is breathe in deep. And yeah, good. Take your hands like this and then rub sides of the nose and breathe in. Good. Make a little points with your fingers, tap the jaw. Sorry, microphone. <laughs> Good. Tap down the outside of the arm. Up the inside. Again. Again. Other side. Keep shaking, bouncing. <laughs> Good. And then chest and rib. Mm. Other side. Whew. You got it. <laughs> yeah. And kidneys, rub, 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 rub. Rub those kidneys. Good. Hit your butt. Down the outside, up the inside, down the outside, up the inside, down the back, hamstrings, hit those hamstrings, sitting in those plane seats or car seats. Hit, 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 hit. Yeah, come back up, bounce, 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 bounce. Then stop and feel. Feel the movement and the stillness.
Nice. Thank you. This is a nice way to get energy moving. It's a nice thing to do in the morning. Not too early, because uh, you don't want to disturb the people below you. And not too late, for the same reason. So, yeah. You may sit now. Thanks so much, Adam, for that. We are entering into this, what I, I think of as this sacred container. As Gulu was mentioning, this practice has been practiced for 2,600 years, and here we are to offer ourselves this practice and, and and uh, so we'll be engaging in uh, two different practices. I'll um, be sharing with you this practice of what's called taking refuge, um, creating this sanctuary of non-harming, creating this community together, this ritual of taking refuges. So how we can honor our community. And then um, Luigi will be sharing about the the precepts, and we'll be chanting them. You, um, there were some chant sheets that were out there, and so we'll explain them first, and we'll do the refuges, and then we'll chant the refuges, and then we'll explain the precepts, and then we'll chant the precepts. And um, for me, this practice of the refuges, there's three refuges of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, is this really this radical reorientation. Uh, oftentimes in the dominant society, there's this orientation towards like, what it, what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? You know, kind of just this. And here there's this orientation towards these three refuges. And so I'm going to say a little bit about each of them. And um, the... Um, the kind of reason for doing it is to create this place where we're all kind of oriented in the same direction. We're creating refuge for ourselves and we're saying to each other, you know, like, I see your beauty and I want to honor your fullness. So we're this, this deep honoring of ourselves and each other through this process. And this generosity that each of us gave to ourselves and going to create and give to create this community. It's a deep generosity of being here and showing up for each other. 
and this practice that we'll be unfolding together in silence where we're going to be holding each other in this place of refuge. So the first refuge is the refuge of the Buddha. And the this refuge can be seen many different ways. In one way, it can be seen as the individual who lived 2,600 years ago and made this commitment to wake up. And if you believe in um, reincarnation, the, the Buddha actually took many, many lifetimes. And so if you think, well, I'm going to you know, wake up, but the Buddha actually took many lifetimes. We may have also done that on this path, or you may think of your own, one life as many lifetimes of waking up and falling asleep and waking up and falling asleep. And there's also this way that we can think about the Buddha as this capacity within each one of us, this capacity to awaken that we have. Some people might call it the Buddha nature, that we can awaken that capacity in each of us. So this taking refuge or going to refuge to the Buddha is this idea that there's this possibility of waking up from this you know, ignorance and confusion of the world that can rest in here, it can rest in a certain particular being who lived many years ago, and this way that we can orient towards freedom. So that's taking refuge in the Buddha. And the second refuge is the refuge of the Dharma. And uh, the Dharma is a harder thing to translate it's sometimes thought um, translated as the way things are, and you're like, well, what's that? The way things are? Sometimes translated as natural laws. Like, for example, if I drop this pen, one of the natural laws that we call gravity is that well, the pen will drop. You know, so the way things are is kind of just explaining that this is the process of the world. It's not a, it's not a giving in to some of the um, systems and structures that may not be supportive, but just to be like, wow, you know, I, I said I wanted chocolate, but I got, you know, you know, Starburst or something. Just like we try to orient our lives the way we like it most of the time, like as if we can control the world. But, you know, as much as I can't control gravity, there's a lot of things that I can't actually control. So this understanding of the Dharma as the natural laws is this meaning of the world in the way the world presents itself. The other interpretation of the, the, the Dharma are the teachings of the Buddha. And so we'll, we'll already mentioned that these foundations of mindfulness are the teachings of the Buddha. And so we'll be expounding on those and teaching from this lineage of 2,600 years that passed down. So the Dharma will be the sharing of some of these wisdom teachings. And so as we connect with this sense of the Dharma, most of our understanding of the, oftentimes has been come through a very intellectual learning. And for me, it was really like I learned up here and the rest of me just kind of came along for the ride. And so you have heard from Gulu and and all of us had said something about the body. And so we'll be talking a lot about the body and the wisdom and the intuitive understanding of the body. So the Dharma can kind of this intelligence, this way that we can rest in this inner knowing. And um, we'll probably be talking a lot about how 
the, a lot of this can really, there's a lot of habit practice of thinking and planning and organizing. So it's definitely going to be there for the ride and it's not going to go offline and not show up again. So it'll be there, but as much as we can kind of begin this experience of connecting to the wisdom of the body. So that's the second refuge of going to refuge to the Dharma. And the third refuge is the refuge of Sangha. So Sangha is, might not be a word that you're familiar with, S-A-N-G-H-A. And that has also many um, ways of looking at it. So one is community, community of practitioners. And so that would include all of us here. So we are now a Sangha because we've all come together to practice. It also includes this Sangha through time and space and geography of everybody who's practiced. And so when I think about that, it's like this idea of entering this stream, this lineage that Gula was speaking to of all these people who have brought this lineage all the way from you know, Southeast Asia to land here in each one of our hearts and minds and bodies to practice. And so this community is a support and um, energetically, um, in so many ways as we practice together, it has, it's, it has been so transformative for me personally to be in a community of people who are, have this alignment towards waking up, towards freedom, towards understanding and practicing in this way. And so uh, this, this going, taking refuge in the Sangha is acknowledging how powerful it is for us to be here together. You know, we are here individually and all that brought us here, but then we're also here as a collective, as a community. So these are the three refuges. And so what we're going to do is we are going to chant them in Pali. And so if you see them here... Um, they're on this page. It says refuges in Pali, and um, and the first part is it, we we do them three times because that's the way it is. And um, I'm going to be, and you're welcome to or not as you will. But I'm going to be putting my hands in prayer Anjali, and you don't have to do that. You're welcome to try it if that's works. This is just kind of just taking these in through your heart. If you would like to listen while others. Um, while others are chanting, that's it said that the words can reverberate that way as well. Um, so uh, I'm going to uh, the first part. The namotasa goes three times, and then we we go through everything three times. And so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you all that you're going to join along because I think that we can do it. Now, I was telling my beloved team members here that I was not blessed with a beautiful singing voice. And so one of the great things about chanting is that you don't have to have a beautiful singing voice. And I also really want to honor my dad in this because he did not have a beautiful singing voice. And so he loved to go to church because when church, no one would tell him to be quiet when there was time to chant or sing. And so this is a hard practice. And so it doesn't matter what the sound is that comes out because the reverberation really is in your heart. So we're going to do this together. And um, uh, 
there is a, some of you may have a particular way that you like to do it. And please, the expression that comes from your heart is the, is the most beautiful expression. So, um, Hulu, if you could ring the bell to start us off, then that'd be great. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Again, namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma Sambuddhasa Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhamman Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Dhamman Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Dhamman Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. So um, I'm really curious about this, but uh, I'm guessing that when Gulu was using the words renunciation and renouncing, and maybe you even used the word restraint, I'm guessing nobody was going goody, like awesome, wonderful. Maybe, maybe, but... uh, um, most of us, you know, it's not very sexy, right? So, uh, but you're not alone in this. In fact, uh, the Buddha said um, before he got awakened that his heart didn't leap at the thought of renunciation. So if your heart didn't leap at the thought of renunciation, you're in good company with the Buddha. Um, So uh, he said this in reply to to a question, uh, because a person was saying, you know, I see these young monastics, and they're really juiced about renunciation but uh for me renunciation is is like a sheer drop off 
I really love that description, like a sheer drop off. And, you know, uh, maybe you have something that you kind of go to for refuge in your daily life. Mine uh, has been most recently Netflix. And, you know, when I, when I press stop and the sound of silence comes in, that's like a sheer drop off. <laughs> and it's like, oh, there I am. <laughs> so what's the big deal about renunciation? Why have we created this environment that is devoted to this practice of putting down? Um, when we're kind of habitually reaching to fill in the those gaps, you know, those moments where, you know, that creeping feeling comes in, I'm going to go reach for the Netflix, I'm going to, you know, whatever, with the phone, scroll, I'm going to scroll, and then oh, that feeling starting to subside, okay, I can come back now. When we do that, um, you know, and we're human, it's, it's natural to find discomfort uncomfortable. Uh, but we are um, kind of sidestepping an opportunity to actually check out a little bit closer what's happening. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but when we are checking checking out and kind of sidestepping that opportunity, what we're not allowing for is our natural wisdom to arise through the observation of what's going on. And, you know, we're not usually trained in kindergarten how to be with stuff, how to be with that creeping feeling. And so we're going to be learning that together over the next few days. Um, and it's a practice, you know, um, and it's not a failure to, to not be able to be with those feelings. You know, it's, it's, it is a practice. Uh, in order for the practice to start taking some roots for the seed to actually take hold, we do need to create some, um, um, like Gulu was talking about, some conditions and some of those conditions involve allowing some of that habit energy to kind of settle down. And uh, so we have these uh, training precepts to uh, kind of guide us to restrain from following through on kind of these uh, unwholesome urges that uh, actually have the effect of really unsettling us or creating a lot of agitation or upset or uh, an inability to be with ourselves and kind of pop us out. So uh, these are training precepts, and I want to emphasize that because they're not shoulds. They're not, if I were a good enough practitioner, I would be able to do this. It's not a, it's not a rule. It's not a commandment. They are uh, kind of lines in the sand that you uh, are, 
are drawing yourself for yourself to, to um, when you get close to a certain kind of unskillful behavior that you can kind of, it kind of turns on the lights and say, it's time to pay attention. What happens when I don't follow through on that urge? What's leading up to the urge? And it, it's, it's like a, a mindfulness bell. So, um, so I'll just kind of go over them in brief. And these are really rich, rich practices and um, simple but deep and profound. And I found over time, I, I used, when I first showed up in the hall, I was just, yeah, these are rules. But over time, my, my heart does leap at them. My heart does leap with joy um, when when uh, these are practiced, or even when I when I do kind of go over the edge and uh, break the training precept. When there's an observation that's been turned on because I've taken the precept, that is actually a pretty interesting and joyful experience. Being able to observe that because it's it's all just. Uh, the opportunity for wisdom to take root. So uh, the first training precept is to refrain from killing any living beings. Pretty seems pretty straightforward, but it can get pretty uh, refined. Oh, that's that spider that we see crawling around that we would typically just or an ant just squish out. We're we're uh, Taking the time to notice it and, you know, gently remove it, and uh, and that over time has actually highlighted the preciousness of life. That whatever is flowing through this tiny little being is the same life force that's flowing through me. And just like I want to live, with, uh, we're just practicing it. We're practicing it, noticing. A second one is. Uh, to uh, refrain from taking things that aren't freely given. So um, I remember I grew up in the 80s, and we never locked our doors. We never locked the car uh, when we went to the grocery store. And it actually, I remember when we started locking the door. And Are there folks in here who kind of went through that process? And it's like, when we started locking up, that's when things got scary. It wasn't like anything actually even scary happened, but just the act of locking up suddenly started creating some contraction and fear. So uh, what we're doing is we're making this uh, kind of um, taking a vow to not take anything that's just lying around. And so if you forget uh, your sweater, down at that dining hall, it will happen, and your water bottles. You'll know that it's there when you go back. And it's a gift. It's a gift to, to just know and not stress that it won't be there. Because it's always a violation if something it, it is, is that, that, that you've, you've selected for yourself is, is no longer there. And likewise, we're, we're respecting others by not taking, we're respecting ourselves by not taking somebody else's belongings. 
The third is to refrain from uh, sexual misconduct. And uh, are we doing a brahmacharya? Okay, okay. So um, this is actually a slightly different... Um, there's a couple of ways this precept can be taken. Here on retreat, we're actually uh, proposing the precept to refrain from any sexual activity. And so we know this is a powerful urge, or it can be. And what is it to actually not follow through on it and actually observe it? Um, this uh, becomes really poignant when we can think, kind of reflect on all of the harm that's come out of people acting uh, in impulsive ways on that sexual energy. So we're, we're practicing restraint of all forms of sexual activity. The fourth one is to refrain from uh, false speech, unwise speech. That's not going to be a problem because it's silent. So we gave you a bonus one there. And then the fifth one is to um, refraining to take any intoxicants which cloud the mind. The clouding the mind part is important. We're not talking about medications that support you, like psychotropics and things like that. We're talking, you know, like alcohol, any kind of uh, drugs. And this isn't like a moralistic thing, like, you know, don't do drugs. It's, it's to support us keeping the other precepts. It's to support what they, the language that they use is heedfulness, as, as intoxicants can kind of lead to a loosening of attention. Um, So uh, what I'm going to have us do is I'm going to give you a moment to actually read the English translation. And then I'll do call and response for the Pali. And, um, and then we'll read the English translation together. Uh, but we can just use this as a little bit of a ref reflection moment. So just go ahead and read the first uh, training. And see, it might not be available, but see if you can access the willingness or the, the promise to yourself to, to do your best to keep this precept. And I'll chant and um, you can respond. The, the Vs in Pali actually have a W sound, a W sound. So um, my friend and I, we joke, we call CVS, the local drugstore, C-W-E-S. So it's kind of got that W sound. So. Panati pata. Panati 
Veramani Sika Padam Samadhiyami And let's read it together. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. And now take a moment to read the next training. Adina Dana Veramani Sika Padang Samadhiyami. And so, um, take, take, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's read the, the English together. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not given. So take a moment to read the next training precept. And um, actually, the, the word that we'll use is not the one printed. So just uh, respond, uh, do the response based on what I'm uh, uh, chanting to you. Abramacharya. And then continuing at Veramani Sikapadang Samadhiyami. Read the next training. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I understand. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. Uh, thank you for keeping me on my toes. So um, go ahead and read uh, the next training silently. Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhiyami I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. And read the, the last training. Sura Meraya Maja Pamadatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhiyami I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicants which tend to cloud the mind. So, um... Uh, noble silence has begun. And um, I think, Gulu, you, you spoke to some of it. And uh, I think that um, 
Yeah, it's it's one of the really beautiful ways that we create this container together. And it does become a container. Uh, you can you can check that out as we go along. You don't have to take my word for it. And um, as Gulu mentioned, we are renouncing our devices in the morning. So um, I'm always kind of waiting for people to make a bolt for the door at that point. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can renounce. But I just want to reassure you, you've already renounced so much in coming here. So um, we'll invite you to bring your devices. If you're relying on uh, your phone for the time, they do have watches in the office that you can kind of uh, borrow for the time that you're here. Uh, and I really want to support uh, or encourage people to use the, the renunciation ceremony as a support. Um, as, you know, if you've ever tried to quit something, like smoking, it, you know, part of what's helpful is you don't go and hang out with a bunch of smokers, right? So if you, you just kind of remove yourself from that activity or that behavior. And it's a support so that you can start feeling yourself away from that thing. Uh, one, uh, Joseph Goldstein says, you might not, you know, your heart might not leap up at renunciation, but when you think about that thing that you are kind of addicted to, whatever it might be, as like alcohol, drugs, smoking, or um, food, sex, money, uh, recognition, power, wealth, whatever it might be. And just kind of think of, you know, reflect on the mass of agitation that comes around always trying to procure it. And just imagine being free of that. Freedom from non-addiction, you know, freedom through non-addiction. Okay, before we close out, we'd like to do a, just a, a final uh, sit here. And I just want to say um, one of the most important meditation instructions I ever got was in, in the beginning, and it was simple. It was just relax. Just relax. Not necessarily to um, take it easy, but just to relax. Um, the approach that we typically take in our lives. Uh, I, uh, I remember when I, I, I first began to meditate, I attacked meditation. <laughs> it was this thing that uh, I did to accomplish something. And it completely transformed once I 
allowed myself just to relax and to see the process of, is a process of shedding, of letting go. You know, if you've ever been carrying lots of baggage through the airport or something, it's such a relief when you can finally set it down and just be. And that's really what we're doing here. And so go easy on yourself. Relax into the process. There's nothing you have to do. Now we're coming more into this being state that uh, Gulu talked about. When I, uh, it still happens, but sometimes I go on retreat, and it's especially true in the beginning that I get to retreat and I'm in this atmosphere of um, quiet. And uh, it's so different than my life outside of here. And I realize how exhausted I really am. And I used to not let myself relax, you know, it was just going, going, going. But I encourage you to relax, sleep, take naps, do those things. I, I once heard the Dalai Lama say, if you're tired and you have a choice between sleeping and meditating, sleep. Sleep. Take naps. Go easy on yourself. And so let's just take a few breaths as we settle into it, just a few minutes of silence. Nice long inhales and even longer exhales. Allowing the awareness to just cascade through the body, grounding into this body. You are here. That's the hardest part. You're here. You got here. This breath, this body, this place, this support, just rest into, relax into that. helpful habit of mine is when I feel tension or feel a little overwhelm in the mind, just taking a big inhale and a long exhale.
So I want to just um, end with one small logistical note. You'll see there is a meditation at 6.15 if you have energy, if you're in the right time zone, uh, please come. If you need to rest, travel, time zones, etc., or you're just tired, um, that's fine. You can sleep in, but please make sure you come at the 8.45 sit. That'll be the key time each day where we sort of set the agenda for the day. So really important to be there. Yeah, and that's the time you can bring your um, phones or other devices that you want to uh, temporarily renounce. Uh, and there'll be some painter's tape or masking tape that will allow you to write your name on your device, and they will be kept in a safe, actually. So uh, rest well. Thank you for being here. We'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.